we're supposed to know the season. God wants us to know what he's doing. All right, session three in our series on eschatology, which uh, if you've watched uh, sessions one and two, Um, eschatology is the study of the last days and the last things. And so it's been a pretty exciting study. Uh, I've been playing around, as I said, with eschatology uh, for about 26 years and just was, um, I got really interested in it. As I said, in the first um, session, the first uh, video, I got interested in it in college. Um, I mean, for obvious reasons, this is a brand new Christian and, you know, Jesus is going to come back and all that goes with, um, you know, the, the last days and how terrible and I mean, just incredible those, those days are going to be. And, um, so just begin to study it and, uh, just found it fascinating that in the scriptures, there's all kinds of information about it, which is, which is interesting. You know, you, um, have people that, you know, are not interested in eschatology. They're not interested in last days. It's all going to happen when it happens. Well, Jesus taught about it in the scriptures. There's more information about Jesus second coming than his first coming. So obviously God wants us to know. And, you know, you hear all kinds of you hear all kinds of uh, statements about no one knows the day or the hour, but you know we're going to find out in this session that we're supposed to know the season. God wants us to know what He's doing. So let's jump into it. Um, just a quick maybe uh, recap or uh, introduction. We won't do this every time. Obviously, when you get later on, you got like eight sessions. You can't recap them all. But with just uh, the two that we've had so far, the first session we really focused on what is eschatology. A little bit of my story on how I got interested in it and the significance of eschatology. And then how, you know, right after the fall, God comes on the scene and pronounces prophetically the redemption of mankind. So it's, 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 you know, eschatology begins in Genesis uh, chapter three. So it's really significant to start at the beginning. And then in session two, we looked at um, the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the significance of Abraham's bloodline and God's covenant with Abraham, and just including him in the whole redemptive process. You know, it's, it really starts, um, you know, picking up you know, steam with, with Abraham. Now, I will say that we skipped over a couple key um, prophetic, uh, you know, scenarios. Um, one would be the Tower of Babel, but we're going to come back to that when we get into Revelation. And we also skipped the flood and we're going to come back to that when we get into uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and some of Jesus' teachings because he references the days of the flood and Noah. So we're going to come back to those. Um, but last session, we focused on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob which led us into into Egypt and those you know that whole family line is is significant not just prophetically speaking um, regarding like the bloodline and the line of you know uh, Jesus coming into the world the Messiah coming into the world but also because we have with Abraham Isaac and Jacob the the end times prophetic nations that are going to be involved. Um, and specifically with that group, we have Israel, uh, obviously Christians um, that are around the world, but nationally we'll have Israel and we'll have Islamic states and then we'll have the Palestinian group. And so we looked at those. If you're interested in, in that and you haven't seen those yet, you need to go back and watch those. So uh, we're going to move into uh, this one, session three, which is dealing with the timing. 
And so, um, you know, at this point, we're looking at Israel being in captivity in Egypt. And I, here's here's how I, I want to approach this. When when you when you're looking at the captivity of Egypt and God bringing Israel out of Egypt, it's not so much bringing them out of Egypt, which it was. Okay, it was. I mean, they're in they're in captivity, they're in bondage, they're in slavery. It was terrible. It was horrible. God cares about that. All that's true, but it was. It was, it was more than just bringing them out of those set of circumstances. It was bringing them out of a scenario where Egypt had become and, and the whole culture of Egypt and the worship of their gods. And Israel wasn't necessarily worshiping their gods, but living in that culture, um, was preventing God's plan of moving forward to bring him aside. God has an agenda. So you're going to hear this over and over and over in this, in this study. Uh, Cause throughout the scriptures, God is just bent on redeeming mankind. He has an agenda and, and he's consistently moving towards like we haven't even. We haven't even got to the whole dream of what God wanted for mankind. Like this whole, this whole disaster of sin and where we are at in this world. God is, is, is moving us to, to a, to a, you know, to a redemption where we actually get into what God designed all along. And so from time to time, you'll have Israel and, and really even the church that gets kind of like sidetracked and God is just bending the circumstances of history into, to shove mankind uh, into the direction of redemption. That's the best way I can say it. He's bending, he's bending circumstances. He's shaping time to get us to, to where he wants us to go. That's what's going on with Egypt. So when, when Israel is led out of Egypt, they are being led out of Egypt, but you, you're under the impression that God wants to take Egypt out of Israel. And it's a, it's a, it's a significant, it's a significant element in the history of Israel. Like God gets really drastic. For example, when, when, you look at Israel being within Egypt and the culture of Egypt, everything in Egypt revolved around the worship of their, of their gods. And the main God was the God of Ra. Um, and there's a whole history with him, how he was like, you know, the ruler and lived here as a human, but ended up leaving and going into the heavens. And now he's the sun. And so he's like the sun God and everything revolved in Egypt around the sun, obviously the, the seasons, um, you know, time that the, the, the marking of their calendar, um, you know, he was the one that created all the other gods because this without the sun, we can't live. So is that kind of an idea? So everything, everything for Egypt revolved around Ra and the sun God. And so Egypt, you know, it, rather Israel, when they're living there, their, their whole lives were dictated out of that kind of, that kind of time frame, that kind of cultic practice. So when God is leading Israel out, what he does, and it's, it's actually pretty radical. He changes the way they reckon time, the way they account for time. And he says, you're not going to do what the Egyptians did which is have a, a, you know, a solar calendar, which is again, uh, the worship around their God. He goes, we're going to move you to a lunar calendar. And so the, 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 you know, solar calendar was a 365 day calendar is actually pretty accurate. It was a great calendar. Um, you know, it was very, very in line with, you know, how the seasons actually operated. But when God brought Israel out of 
Egypt, he did not want them operating according to the time frame of Egypt and even the time frame of the world, which is kind of just, you know, in the routine of, of the world. God says, you're going to operate according to my time frame, which is a prophetic time frame. And what's significant, and I don't know if I'm even describing this correctly, but the, the notion you're under the impression that prophetic time is not natural time. It's God's timing. Like everything is in his timing. And so with the lunar calendar, which is it's actually hysterical, it's, I guess from a perspective of a world, it's really not even a good calendar. It's a 360 day year calendar because each month of the year um, was 29 to 30 days, which left them five days short every year, at least. And obviously you can do the math. If you figure that up over time, over several decades, eventually spring is going to, is going to be wrong. You know, I mean, you're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving in the spring and your Easter in the fall. I mean, things are going to get out of whack. And so how God corrected that is that, you know, out of their, their, their months, out of their 12 months, Adder would be, which is their December would be celebrated twice. So every, it's like two to three years, most of the time is closer to three years. Um, they would just throw another month in there and they had to do that to correct time, like a whole month. So when you're looking at the calendar of Egypt versus the calendar of Israel, just, you know, right off the bat, you're going to look at it and say, well, this is way more accurate, but Israel was not operating off of what was accurate. They were operating off of the timeline of God. They're going to reckon how time evolves differently. They literally walk in step with God, which was so cool. And, and so, you know, you have the way, I guess we would call that is that Israel was put on a, on a prophetic timetable. Now we have, um, we have evidence of this. And I want to just give you a couple of these in Genesis chapter seven, we have, um, a record of this, of this 30 day calendar. And so in Genesis chapter seven, beginning at verse 11, uh, it reads in the sixth, uh, this is right around the flood, the flood time in the 600th year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month. That's important. 17th day of the second month on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven were open and started raining. Now you go down and it tells us in verse 24, chapter seven, verse 24, that the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So from the 17th day of the second month, you've got 150 days. Then you come down to chapter eight, verses three and four. And it says at the end, at the end of those 150 days, the waters go down on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark rests on the mountains of area. So you have the waters began on the 17th day of the second month, five months later on the 17th day of the seventh month, it ends. So that's five months. And we know it's 150 days, 150 times, you know, do the math, you're 150 days uh, times uh, divided by five is 30. So you've got a 30 day month biblically. And so that's the, that's the calendar by which God puts Israel on, which is this prophetic calendar. Now there's one other thing we want to look at regarding time. And uh, again, I, I think I said this already, but this session, we're really looking at prophetic time and then God gives them a timetable. And so um, the prophetic time is the 30 day lunar calendar. And then the prophetic timetable is when they actually leave um, Egypt 
and then they they go to Mount Sinai and they receive the law. And we're going to look at that in next session, the law and then uh, the land of promise, the arrival and then the exile. So we're going to cover a, a long period of time. It'll lead us right up to Daniel, actually. But when they go and receive uh, when they receive the law through Moses, there's some details in the law that are pertaining to time, which we want to cover again and, you know, in, in thorough. So. The, the timing element with the law revolves around these, these feast days. There's seven of them. They're like these holidays. And just like United States, they have all kinds of holidays, but there were seven of them that were specific. They were put in the law and God said, you're going to honor these. You're going to celebrate these and you're going to celebrate these according to this prophetic timetable. There was a specific day on which they would, they would celebrate these. So there were four spring feasts. There were seven in all, but there were four spring feasts and then there were three fall feast. So let's look at the spring, the summertime, and the fall. They're all prophetic. The first four, which were Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost, all within 50 days of each other. Okay. They're all within a 50 day time period. Those were fulfilled by Jesus in his first coming. So these four, these first four festivals uh, that were given in the law were to pinpoint the timing. And uh, that's so significant because you're going to hear people, you know, if you just Google, there's all kinds of things out there on, on end of times, theology and teaching. And, you know, there's people come up with all kinds of things. But one thing I'm consistently hearing, consistently hearing is like, well, you know, no one knows the day or the hour and no one has any idea. That's not true. I mean, seriously, that's not true. God gives, God gives all kinds of evidence. He gives all kinds of information on timing. And so with these, these seven mosaic feasts, the first four pinpoint to the day when the Messiah is going to actually come and he's going to do specific things on each, on each specific day of these, of these feasts. So, uh, and if you can, you can look at all these, they're in Leviticus chapter 23. They're all divided up. We're not going to have them up on the screen, but Passover uh, obviously was the celebration it was a festival that commemorated them leaving Egypt, but it was more than just them leaving Egypt. Again, it was this idea of Egypt being taken out of Israel and it was fulfilled in Jesus and prophetically represented forgiveness and deliverance um, from sin. That, that's, that's the whole Passover deal. It was, it was, it was out of bondage of Egypt, but it was out of spiritual bondage that would be brought in by the Messiah. That was Passover. Unleavened bread, um, was of course, um, in haste. They were leaving Egypt and, and so they, they didn't have any leaven in their bread. Well, leaven in the New Testament represents sin. And you can go look at how Jesus talks about that. So the unleavened bread is, is actually represented Jesus on the cross dying. And again, that's, that's really specific. So um, let me say that on the Passover was on the 14th day of Nisan. Unleavened bread was on the 15th day of Nisan. And then we'll get to the first fruits, which was on the 16th day of Nisan. But so Passover, Jesus was hanging on the cross. Okay. Unleavened bread, he dies. He dies for the sin of mankind. And just as they were leaving Egypt, and they didn't have any leaven in their bread that was that was really specific god had them had them you know 
kind of celebrate specifically in, in that way and remember in that way because the leaven of sin would be dealt with in mankind. That sin is eradicated from mankind. There's no more leaven. There's no more sin. That's the death of Jesus on the cross. Super, super significant. Then you come to the, the, the next day, the 16th day of Nisan, which is the third day. And that's the first fruits, which was their harvest. It was, it was the first fruits of that, of that harvest year. And Jesus represented the first fruits of, of kingdom children. Okay. So the first fruits of the Messiah's ministry took place when he comes out of the grave. So everyone that comes into the kingdom is going to look like Jesus. That's the first fruits idea. Then at the end of, if you count from Passover to Pentecost, you have 50 days. So in fact, the, the Pentecost literally means 50. It is where the Holy Spirit is given. It's on the sixth day of Nisan. And, and that's where, you know, God, God is out of the temple. He's out of stone buildings and he, he's back reconciled with with mankind. Okay. So that's really quick, right? But just giving you an overview, the first four feasts were about what Jesus accomplished in his first coming, taking these, these events in Israel's history that God gave that they were to celebrate and remember because they were pertaining to prophetically what God was going to accomplish in Jesus. I said that fast and that's a lot, but that's really important. Out of all the things that they were celebrating, they were fulfilled in Jesus. Then you enter into the summer months. And we're going to get into this when we look into some of Paul's writings, specifically in Romans chapter 11, because Paul, when he's talking about, he, he mentions the spring feast and the fall feast, but there's this summer time period that, that, you know, there was nothing going on for Israel. Well, that's prophetic because Paul calls that the age of the Gentiles, where there's nothing going on with Israel. We're going to deal with that later and the reemergence of Israel back on the scene when they were scattered among the nations. That represents this time period. Okay. So just we'll get to that later. But when you get to the final three festivals, okay, and they are just so I get them in order. I always get these out of order. Trumpets, Day of Atonement and Tabernacles. The first one, now again, Jesus fulfilled the first four in his first coming. He'll fulfill the next three in his second coming. The first of which is trumpets, which signifies, you know, uh, sometime you, you, Tim LaHaye teaches on this. And although I don't believe in a, in a pre-rapture, I don't think it's biblical. And we'll get to that when we deal with the rapture stuff. There is a rapture, but it's the idea of a pre-rapture. I don't just don't find it in scripture, but he does talk about, and he does a really good job on this, talking about how the the second coming of Jesus happens in like two parts. And that's 100% accurate. And you see that here with the trumpets because there's there's like stages of his coming. And this the trumpets were an announcement of the of the second coming of Jesus. In fact, the last trumpet, if you, you know, remember what Jesus says at the last trumpet and Paul, you know, references that as well. Um, the dead in Christ are going to rise and all of that, that signifies the rapture. And we're going to get to the rapture stuff and we'll deal more with the trumpets when we get there. But this trumpets rep represents, you know, the, the, um, in fact, I, I wrote this down. The people of Israel to make offerings and they had all this celebration stuff. But prophetically, this festival represents the rapture of the church, signifying their rest from labor and an unexpected wrath of God that comes upon an ungodly world. That's the idea of the trumpets. We'll get to that later, later on in several different, you know, several sessions down the road. Okay, that's the that's the um, fifth feast. When you move into the sixth feast, that's the day of atonement. 
most sacred, you know, day of Israel. Um, you know, there's all, you can go back and read about the day of atonement, but for, for Christians prophetically, this, uh, this festival represents the return of Jesus. And so that's where he actually comes back and they recognize that it's Jesus and man, he's, he's dealing with the enemy and all of that. And then tabernacles is where God, um, dwells with man once again. And it may, it may even be, and I'm, I'm not sure where I land on this, quite frankly, it's just, it's, it's confusing. It's difficult, but I, the trumpets may include this thousand year, um, you know, um, time of the millennium. And so we'll get to that when we get a few sessions down the road. And, um, but it represents specifically Jesus dwelling with his people, God dwelling with his people. So, all right. I wanted to get that out there. I wanted to keep it as short as I possibly could, but this section is this session specifically is dealing with the time element. Um, that God, I mean, way like these are, these are end times scenario kinds of things that God is talking about, like all the way back coming out of Egypt. I mean, moving into this, the, the fundamental first giving of the law and the structure for the people of Israel. He's already talking to them about stuff that's happening in the end, end days. So God never stops. This is really important. God never stops beating the drum. He never stops reminding, uh, reminding us that he has an agenda and he is, he is moving us towards a redemption. He is, he is not just leaving us down here and aloof. And I mean, he desires none to perish, but he, he is agenda driven. He is, he is moving us towards redemption. So that's session three. We're going to get to one more, probably going to take a break for uh, a couple of weeks. I want to get into some things that I've been studying in Ephesians. Um, but then we're going to come back and go through sessions four, five, and six and deal with, um, I'm excited about the law. We're going to look at the law and then the land of promise, entering into the land and the significance of that, specifically Israel being a student, a steward. So uh, super excited. Hope you stay with us.